0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? At hey Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. As you're grabbing your seat, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a black one right around you. If you don't own a Bible or forgot one at home, that is also our. A gift to you, and so you can take that with you as well. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 today, so you can go ahead and just start turning there um, as I kind of jump into this intro here, um, but we just want to welcome you. We want to say happy Easter. Uh, we want to say thank you for joining us um, here at the District Church. Um, we're glad that you've joined us this morning uh, because it's one of my favorite mornings um, to be able to just talk about Jesus um, because that's the, the thing I love to do most more than anything is just simply lift him up as much as possible um, because he's the reason why I live, he's the reason why I get up, he's the reason why I do what I do, Um, he's the reason why I'm able to breathe uh, because he literally sustains anything and everything in life for us. Um, We want to let you know too um, that if you're in this place and you've grown up in church your entire life or this is one of the first times ever stepping into a church, uh, we also want you to know that this is a safe place for you. Um, This is a safe place for you to be skeptical. This is a safe place for you to kind of wrestle through what we believe and teach. Um, This is a safe place for you to literally disagree with us. Um, But what we're inviting you into is relationship with us. A relationship with us to continue uh, just wrestling through scriptures, and who God says he is, and who Jesus says he is, and who the Holy Spirit is, and and what are the implications of who they say they are um, when it comes to our lives, our daily lives, the way we live out his design for us, um, for our flourishment, not to kind of produce this begrudging submission that we often see a lot of times in churches and in Christianity, um, but rather a life that is ultimately lived out for your joy, um, for your happiness, for your gladness, um, for you to actually have life to the full is what we want you to see in the scriptures. That's what we want you to encounter when we preach Jesus is experiencing life to the full. And so, again, this is a safe place um, for you to be able to, to kind of consider this story, uh, to consider this person that we think so highly of, um, Jesus Christ. Um, he, he's not just an expression uh, he, he's not just a word, um, he's not just an idea, um, but we believe he literally is God in man. I mean, we believe that he is eternal. We believe that he is the savior of the world, as you're going to see um, as we jump into this message today. And when it comes to Jesus Christ, there's literally no one in all of history who's loved more and also hated more than Jesus Christ. There are more songs sung about him. There are more books written of him. There are more ideas about him than any other person in all of history. I mean, we literally measure time by him when we look at our calendar, B.C. being before Christ and A.D. being Anno Domini in the year of the Lord, respectively. Roughly 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born in a dumpy, rural, small town. Not unlike those today where people still change their own oil. They put large tires on their trucks thinking that's going to improve their driving skills in the mud. Um, like I'm describing the town that I grew up in in Tennessee. Um, I'm kind of describing myself in Tennessee as well. Um, but this is the reality. I mean, he was his mom was a poor, unwed teenage girl who was mocked for, um, for telling people that she was conceived via the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is literally who Jesus comes from. He was earthly fathered by a simple carpenter named Joseph, and he spent the first 30 years of his life in obscurity, just literally swinging a hammer with his dad. Around the age of 30, Jesus began a public ministry that included preaching, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, and befriending social misfits, tax collectors, prostitutes, drunks, thieves, Jesus' ministry only spanned about three years before he was put to death for ultimately uh, claiming to be God. He was put to death for this message. He died by shameful crucifixion like tens of thousands of people before and after him. And that's what Good Friday is celebrating in a lot of ways, is Jesus going to the cross to die on a cross But it was much more than him just putting to death for a claim that he had. But rather, there was a lot more going on behind the scenes that we're going to see today. At first glance, Jesus' resume is rather simple. He never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his home. He never held a political office, never married, never attended college. He never excelled in the sports arena. He died both homeless and poor. Nonetheless, he again is the most famous person in all of human history the most famous person in all of human history. No army, nation, or person has changed human history to the degree that Jesus the homeless man has. Some 2,000 years ago, after he walked the earth, Jesus remains as popular as ever today, both in popular and and positive opinion as well as negative opinion. 2 Corinthians eleven three 3-4 says, The opinions about Jesus are countless in seemingly every area of culture. And what we want to share today is the fact that Jesus is simply the gospel. And what we mean by gospel, gospel is just a term that, that means good news. In order for good news to be good news, it has to invade dark spaces. He came in order to bring about change amidst the darkness, to bring light, to bring hope, to bring love, to bring encouragement, to bring forgiveness from where we mess up. The change is not a bad thing, but it's a great thing for us. It's a transformation for our own flourishment. The Bible tells us in Proverbs fourteen twelve. I hate this verse, but it's a true verse. In Proverbs fourteen twelve, it says, there's a way that seems right to a man and its end is destruction. Its end is the way of death. Like there's a way that we can come up in our own minds and our own ideas and our own way of life that we think is going to lead to our own flourishment. We think is going to lead to the pursuit of happiness. And the reality is, is it's going to just lead us to our own death, our own destruction because we don't know the best way for our lives. We don't know the best path. We don't know the right way in order for us to ultimately experience what we're so longing for, which is happiness and peace and rest and relief. That's what we're longing for and we're not gonna find it in our own way. Happy Easter, right? (laughs) But this is why we love Jesus and what Easter ultimately represents. Because Jesus comes to offer us hope in life where we have no hope, he offers peace where there's no peace. He offers love where there's only hatred. He offers this to us and he offers it to us freely. He provides it to us. And I wanna show you a story in the Bible where Jesus changes everything for a homeless, lame beggar. And I want to point out this story. Usually on Easter, people just go to the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection. But I want to show you the implications of what that does for us as humans. What that has the capacity to be able to do. What it has the ability to do in changing not only our spiritual lives, but also our physical lives. To be also just to change anything and everything that encompasses who you are in your identity. This is what Jesus does for us. And so as you're there in Acts chapter 3, if you haven't got there yet, go ahead, turn over to Acts chapter 3. If you um, can't find it, it will also be up on the screens as well. We're just trying to make it easy for you to be able to see the scriptures and let them speak for themselves. And so Acts chapter 3, we're going to jump into verse 1 and read through these first 10 verses here as we see the power of the gospel at work in this man's life. And all the people who saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So, a couple of things I want to point out in this passage. The first thing that I want to show you is that without Jesus, we're lame. All right, like that's a great chipper message for you. We're lame. We're just like this guy. Even though this guy is physically lame from birth, he's crippled. He cannot walk. He's been that way his entire life. He's, he's so lame and crippled that he literally has to be carried to this gate every single day in order to ask people for money, in order to ask people for resources, in order to ask people for food. And so he's asking them, he's lame. Where this man was physically crippled, he was also spiritually crippled, just as we are today. As Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, You were dead in the trespasses and, trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So, even though we have this idea that we're able to walk through life with an ability to be able to create and work a job and, and be able to kind of uh, establish a life for ourselves. Even though we're doing things that look productive, we're doing things that are creating for ourselves sustainability or stability within our own lives, we're, we're doing things that create kind of a, a sense of happiness around ourselves, there's still this idea that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Even though we can go about walking through life, having all these temporary things that we're longing for in order to satisfy our hearts, in order to satisfy our souls, in order to satisfy our minds, they're never ultimately going to satisfy because at the core of who we are, at our identity, we're dead in our trespasses. We're dead in our sins. We're dead in the things that we continue to do that are, that are wrong, both in the things that we do that are right and wrong. Because in the Bible, in Isaiah, it says, even your righteous deeds are like filthy rags. There's no possible way for us to build or earn a life in which God would look upon that life and say, well done, thy good and faithful servant, if it does not come through Jesus Christ that we're about to see. And I think sometimes that that unfortunately is the way that we've been taught by our culture growing up is that I mean, it's even taught about our Constitution, Declaration of Independence. Like it's, it's the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But in what way are we actually going to find life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Are we going to find it by building and creating, having a family, having a, a, an incredible career? Those things are phenomenal, and God is not anti those things. He wants those things for His people. But the reality is, is if we're... Um, placing on those things the object of our worship if we're worshiping those things in order for those things to provide for us satisfaction they're going to crumble under the weight of our worship because they were never meant to fulfill that God's the only one who's meant to ultimately fulfill for us our worship our satisfaction our adoration of who he is so those things are not going to happen they're not going to work for us and so therefore we're lame We're lame, just like this man. Without Jesus, we're desperate beggars. He asked to receive alms in verse 3. We're seeking out happiness and satisfaction at all times. It's ingrained within us. We can't help but be hedonists. We are pursuing anything and everything that makes us happy. Blaise Pascal, he's a French theologian mathematician, someone you really want to hang out with um, often. He says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The the will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. He's saying in all of life, in every aspect, the end of every desire we have is for us to ultimately receive happiness, to receive pleasure, even to the point he's saying of those who would hang themselves, because they they believe, they think that that, that ultimately getting away from this life and going on to the next is going to produce for me a sense of happiness, because I've got to get away from this. It just leads into this idea of just desperation. I mean, we are desperate for pleasure we're desperate for something to satisfy our souls just like this lame beggar who who every single day comes to these gates and without jesus we're hopeless when peter and john show up on the scene and they they look at this guy and they gaze upon him this guy's asking for alms but peter and john have to actually tell him look at us so this man's not, not at that time even expecting anything. He's literally just showing up day in and day out asking for alms, but not even looking at them as if they were going to provide something for him. He's completely hopeless in this situation. We call them navel gazers. People just walk around all of life is just navel gazing. Woe is me. There is no hope. I'm, I've ultimately been on this journey of just trying to find it for myself, and I've not found it, and so I'm just losing hope. And maybe for you, you're like, oh, I'm not necessarily losing hope, but maybe it's a different type of word. Maybe you're disenchanted with life. You're not ultimately seeing what what is going on around you. I love what D.L. Moody says. He says, the spirit of, um, I'm sorry, not D.L. Moody, Heraclitus of, of Ephesus, 5th to 6th century BC, says this. He was also known as the weeping philosopher, another guy you'd love to hang out with. The world is nothing but a great desire to live and a great dissatisfaction with living. And we all have this great desire to want and to live and to have, but as we're living, we just keep experiencing this great dissatisfaction with what we're actually living, what we're experiencing day in and day out. There's this great tension between what we want to experience and what we actually experience. And the only resolve, the only resolve for the tension is what we're about to see in this passage. With Jesus, we become hopeful. Look at verse five, when they talk to this beggar and they say, look at us, we start to see a shift in this beggar. All of a sudden now in verse five, he's beginning to expect something. He's beginning to expect to receive something from them. D.L. Moody says, the spirit of God first imparts love He next inspires hope and he then gives liberty. The act of love comes first from Peter and John. I mean, daily they're going into the temple at the hour of prayer. Daily they're walking by this guy. So something in them in this day was provoked within their spirits. The Holy Spirit in them is provoking them to look at this guy and to engage him with the love that they've experienced from Christ. And so the first act of love is them looking at him and saying, we've got something for you. It then inspires hope to this man as he's expecting to receive something from them. And then liberty is birthed in verses six through eight. With Jesus, we are raised to new life. It says, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Christ Jesus, of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong, and leaping up he stood and he began to walk. I mean could you imagine I mean this guy is is considered a man, so we know that in the biblical times to be considered a man you're beyond the age of forty. So for more than forty years this guy has been crippled, carried, and ultimately helpless. And in an interaction with Peter and John, they share with him a message. Hey, silver and gold we don't have. Which I love the fact that they actually said that to start out with was because, it. it for one, I don't have silver and gold or any money to be able to offer anybody. But what I do have is Christ. And what he's ultimately saying there is, look, hey, you can... You can pursue silver and gold. You can pursue money. You can pursue wealth. You can pursue prosperity. You can pursue health. You can pursue all of those things. But those things are not ultimately going to provide for you. You're going to run out. Because if, if, if y'all aren't aware in this room, and I can say y'all, I'm from Tennessee. If you're not aware in this room that those things are not going to work out for you, let's just look at health. All right, I, I used to say over the age of 27 because I used to be 27. Now I'm kind of in that bracket, and so it just it's going bad for me too. So I'm with you. But if you're over the age of 27, like, do you not injure yourself when you're sleeping? You do, like, because your body's breaking down. Like, health is not going to be your salvation. Health is not going to provide you satisfaction in the long run. I don't care how much Pilates you do or spinach you eat. Like, your body is breaking down. It's going to go bad for you at some point. And I know 80% of our church is thinking, not me. Well, you hit 27 and then have a conversation with us. Thank you. Thank you. But prosperity, I mean, as soon as you you want wealth, as soon as you want more money, then you need more, and then you need more. We know the cycle. I mean, you see it even in kids at a young age when they get a present and they quickly move on to the next present. They quickly forget about it because they want more. It's ingrained within us to always want more. And so what he's starting out of the gate here, like silver and gold, I do not have. Like those things are not gonna be the best thing that I can provide for you. It'll get you through a couple of days, but from there, you're gonna continue being this lame beggar. And so what I wanna provide for you is Jesus Christ. And this man receives him and his life is radically changed. Not only physically is he changed, But his identity changes as well. Because his identity up until this point has literally been a lame beggar who is crippled, who has no hope. Everyone in the town knows exactly who this man is, as we're about to see. But now he's walking around, and it starts to shift some things in the city as well. Let's look at it. Continuing on. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I mean, if you have been crippled for forty years, are you not going to be leaping with joy when you're finally able to walk? And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. With Jesus we receive this sense of wonder and amazement at what he can accomplish, not what we can accomplish, but what he can accomplish, what he is able to do in our lives that we cannot do for ourselves because of Proverbs 14, 12. We try to do it for ourselves. We're totally just gonna wreck it and mess it up. And so Jesus comes into the scene and is able to offer us a life, and not only a life, but a life abundantly, as he says in John 10. He wants to give us something that is greater than this world has to be able to offer us and you can look at it in relationships you can look at it in in finances you can look at it in careers you can look at it in any of those things they're not going to provide for us but only jesus can provide for us and i'm going to continue reading through verses 11 through twenty, because it gives an explanation from Peter and John to the crowd as they start to see this amazement going on. Because what the crowd wants to do is they want to look at Peter and John and say, wow, look at this incredible thing that you did. And Peter and John, they see this as an opportunity for the crowd not to just pat them on the back for what has happened to this man, but for them to point them to the person who is actually the one doing this work. And that's what I want you to see today, because at the end of the day, it's not the district church that is able to offer you something greater. And it's not me that is able to offer you something greater. It's not the band that's able to offer you something greater, but it's a person that is able to offer you something greater. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? What he's saying there is is, it's not come from my own ability or my own strength. It's not come from my own religious stature. It's not not come from my own uh, position within the church as its lead pastor. It's not coming from those things in order for this man to walk. He says the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our father. That's just another way as Peter is addressing people in Jerusalem who primarily are Jews. They are within this religion that is Judaism. They recognize Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the fathers as kind of their spiritual leaders within the faith. And so Peter's wanting to bring them into this fold. He's wanting to bring them into this message in order for the people to understand and receive that what he's about to tell them does not run contrary to what they've actually been taught in the past, but what they've been taught in the past is now fulfilled in this man. The God of our fathers, they glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. Very secret, sensitive message, right? Like usually when you're trying to get people to kind of agree with what you're preaching, like you're not gonna call them murderers. You're not gonna be like, hey, this, this guy that I'm telling about, like you just straight up killed him. Like that's who you're, you killed the author of life. It's not a very popular message but the reality is is we're in that same boat as lame beggars because of our sin our sin is what placed him on the cross of good friday we killed the author of life every single one of us in this room we participated with our sin in ultimately killing jesus christ but then it doesn't end there as killing the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. That's happy Easter. Without Jesus, we'd be lame. Without Jesus, we'd be beggars. Without Jesus, we would be hopeless. But because he raised from the dead on the third day, on that Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago, with Jesus we receive amazement and awe and we begin to receive these times of refreshing whom God raised from the dead to this we are witnesses I love that if you were actually here with us last easter that's what i taught on where the fact that the apostles were witnesses like they saw this this was recorded um, from them as eyewitnesses as they went around and told people like we we literally saw jesus like the guy who was dead three days ago for 40 days he ate and drank with us he he continued to teach us he gave us a commission like he he literally gave us job roles and job descriptions within the mission of god like we we spent 40 days with a dead guy who's no longer dead they're they're saying we are witnesses to this in his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know and the faith that is through jesus The faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Guys, that is huge. Because some of the things that we even still unfortunately talk about in Christianity is this idea that we kind of use Jesus in order to provide our own gain when it comes to our own life. Like, we, we're, 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 we're contractors, we're teachers, we're whatever, but we're kind of also Christians compartmentalized over here. Like, we don't see our Christianity, we don't see our relationship with Jesus as the definitive relationship that is driving all of our life. We say we, we believe in Jesus in the sense that he's kind of like my friend that I hang out with on Sundays. Or we believe in Jesus um, as though he's kind of like a Facebook friend of ours, that we know some facts about him, but we're actually not in a personal relationship with him. We'll kind of go to him every once in a while and check up on his profile and kind of see what the new thing is that he's doing but we don't actually abide with him. We don't actually know him. We don't actually engage in relationship with him on a daily basis in order to provide us satisfaction of life. Like if you know Jesus, like I know Emmett Smith, it's not gonna go great for you. I I love Emmett Smith, best running back that has ever lived in all of history. All right, you can argue with me afterwards on that, but I've got the mic for right now. I know a lot of things about Emma Smith, but I don't know him personally, I don't. Last night I went to a Matt Kearney concert downtown, love Matt Kearney, one of my favorite, is my favorite artist of all time. Been following him since 2005, I was even telling Josh last night, like when I'm walking into a Matt Kearney concert, like I feel so much like a snob because I'm like, I was like, these people don't know Matt Kearney. Like first time I went to his concert, there were 20 people there. Like, I remember the first little EP he put out that had, like, four songs on it, Girl America. Like, that was when I connected with Matt Carney because there's a, a line within that song where he says, the, the crown of thorns was placed to erase each tear that's touched her face. Like, that's beautiful. I'll rap if I need to. But, like, it's, like, Matt Carney is, is, is phenomenal. And I have a friend who is a friend of Matt Carney's, and so I was even texting him yesterday and be like, hey, since he's in town, just go ahead and invite him to our Easter service. But, like, the reality is, like, I, I don't know Matt Carney personally. There's been one time that he actually called me via my friend, and I answered the phone, and it was, like, the worst fangirl that you could ever. <laughs> like, I, I had no idea what to say to him on the phone. Like, I that's just the way that I responded. But I don't know him. He doesn't know me. But I know a lot about his music. I know a lot about his life. I know he's a dad. He's got a new, uh, a new baby girl because I follow him on Instagram. But the reality is, like, we, we, if we follow Jesus like that, it does nothing for us. It does absolutely nothing for us. Like, if Jesus is just a hobby, go get a better hobby. I'm serious. Like, if church is a hobby for you, like, I can think of a ton of better. Like, I like to sleep in. I don't like getting up on Sunday mornings at six thirty, seven 7 o'clock to come set up church every single week. I'd rather go kayaking, to be honest with you, if this was a hobby. But because it's not a hobby, because I see it as a message that is ultimately providing for me the greatest satisfaction, not only in the here and now, but for eternity long. Then you better believe it. I'm gonna get up every single Sunday because I wanna come and I wanna be with the people of God. And I wanna be I wanna have our hearts stirred up by the Holy Spirit, and I wanna be able to to sing together with you who Christ is and what he has accomplished, not only in my life, but in your life. Why? Because you are abiding with him. You know him personally in a relationship. Your, your sins, your failures, your faults, your fumbles, your stumbles, anything and everything that's gone bad for you in your life has been reconciled by God because you trust in Jesus Christ, because you know him personally. Not because you know him personally, because you know who he is. They're witnesses of this. It says down in verse verse 19, he starts to give kind of this, this response for the people. Because as the people are seeing this man who's gone through a complete life change and there's a sense of amazement and awe from them. Let's be honest. How many of you, if you're around someone who's experiencing an awe or wonder or amazement or excitement, like they've gone through something that's that that went really well for them, you're kind of like, hey, can I get some of that too? Like I want something like like we are all evangelists about something, all right? I'm not talking Christianity. We're all evangel. You see a good movie, you're gonna go share it with someone else, right? Like someone was telling me, Isle of Dog was great, and so I'm gonna go. I wanna go see Isle of Dogs now because it sounds like it was a great movie. Like you eat a good steak, like you go and tell people, hey, this was a good steak, you need to go to this restaurant and check it out. You drink a good cup of coffee, you wanna go tell people, hey, let's go drink some coffee at Indie Coffee Roasters and Lulu's, let me throw Lulu's out there as well. We've got places where we evangelize all the time. Hey, I want you to meet this person because this person is contagious with joy and you're just gonna feel better about being around this person. And so I want you to meet them. Like we do this all the time because we want people to experience what we're experiencing and this is exactly what peter and john are doing is as these people are coming in and they're experiencing a sense of awe because of this man having this life change peter tells them in order for you to get in on this repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out repent literally is just a change of mind Stop doing things the way you've been doing them. Trust Christ in his design and the way that God wants you to live your life that's going to be for your joy, for your happiness, for your gladness of heart. It's going to be for times of refreshing. It's going to bring peace in your life. And I'm not talking circumstances here. There's still going to be bad circumstances in your life. There's still going to be things that go wrong in your life outside of you, but inside of you, there is this sense of wonder that Christ has got me, that God has got me, that I am sealed in the Holy Spirit, that there is no way in which God is going to let me go. And therefore, I'm able to sleep at night. I'm able to rest in exactly what he is accomplishing for me, what he has accomplished for me. Repent. Change your mind of what you've been doing and consider Christ. Turn away from that, that your sins may be blotted out, that your sins might be forgiven so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Man, that's the offer on the table. Stop. Stop going about life the way you've been going. That has not worked. I love what Romans says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine through 11. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved as the scripture says anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame never be put to shame never is a is a continuing statement that means for eternity you will never be put to shame because you have received Christ as lord as lord means that he is in control over your life and he's not in control over your life like a tyrant He's not in control over your life like a, um, like a dictator. He's control over making sure that your life is going to flourish that your life is going to receive times of refreshing because what he's doing is he's drawing you into himself. And there is no greater place to be than in the presence of the Lord. There's no greater place to walk and live in and be among than right next to Jesus. Like I love my wife, but my wife is not going to satisfy my life. Amen, my kids are not gonna satisfy me. But I love them. But they getting up every 45 minutes in the middle of the night, it's not happy. It's not flourishing. It's exhausting. I put more of that on my wife, Kelsey, because she deals more with that. So she would say amen to that. But even, like, honestly, guys, cards on the table, leading this church brings all kinds of anxieties and frustrations because i got to deal with people. People are frustrating, right? Like, it's true. People are frustrating. And so if I were to do this whole thing, live life without Christ, I'd hate every second of it. Because I know Him. And I've experienced Him. And I abide in Him every single day. And I know that my past failures, I know that my present stumbles, and I know that my future mistakes have all been covered by the blood of Jesus. Three days ago that we celebrated. It's been covered on the cross. The reason he went to the cross. See, it's it's funny the language that we use, that we killed the author of life, that we murdered him. But at the same time, Jesus says, no one took my life. I laid it down. Jesus came, and kind of the Christmas message like he was, he he came to the world from eternity past. He came as a man. He was born. He was born not to live just a great life and have a great job as a carpenter and and kind of experience kind of what we go through at, at times. Like that wasn't the point of what he was ultimately accomplishing. What he came to do was to provide a way for us to be able to enter into his relationship that he experiences with the Father and the Holy Spirit that he's experienced for eternity past and he'll experience for eternity future. He wants to bring us in to that perfect communion of holiness and say there's nothing that you will ever experience greater in life than this. And we don't want you to miss it. And so Jesus was born to ultimately die, to ultimately go to the cross and to be this perfect sacrifice for us. And when we say sacrifices, because as he said in the scriptures, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the Israelites, the people of God that we see in the Old Testament daily, they had to bring animals up to the temple in order to, to kill them and slaughter them so that there'd be bloodshed to cover their sins. They did this every single year. I'm glad we don't do that anymore. And the reason why we don't do that anymore for the forgiveness of our sins is because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice who was able to shed his blood in order to cover all of our sins, past, present, and future, so that we don't have to offer up ourselves to do that anymore. We don't have to earn our way anymore, but rather he took it upon himself. He lived a perfect life so that we don't have to live a perfect life in order to come into a presence with him he died a death that we were supposed to die because we couldn't live perfectly and because he died that death he then rose three days later and raising three days later is important because all of christianity hangs on the balance of whether or not jesus christ rose on that third day if he didn't raise then we're following a guy who still has bones buried somewhere there's no power in that but he rose three days later and because he rose he guarantees for us who are dead in our trespasses and sins that we will be brought to life just as he was brought back to life and rose three days later. He's literally considered in scriptures the first fruit of the gospel. The good news that sin, Satan, and death has been taken care of. And now life and times of refreshing are coming. And the offer is there for you. The offer is there for you today. I'm going to have the rest of the band go ahead and come on down what I want us to do in this time is there's gonna be two things happening. As a church, we partake of communion every single week. The reason why we partake of communion is because communion represents for us the body of Christ being broken on the cross and the blood of Christ being shed. And so when we partake of communion, what we are doing is we are saying, we are celebrating, we are telling Jesus, thank you for what you have accomplished for us 2,000 years ago. Thank you that you broke your body and that you shed your blood and that you provided for us life. And so we wanna remember that. We wanna worship you and we wanna come and partake of that. And so this is communion is, uh, it's for the family. It's for believers. Like if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't make sense because you're not remembering something that you haven't experienced personally. So that's the first thing is that if you're a part of the body of Christ, we want you to partake in communion. We want you to celebrate. We want you to worship Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And for those of you who kind of might know Jesus like Facebook or social media, you kind of might know things about him but you don't know him personally then the offer for you on the table today is use this time to come to know him the way in which we come to know him is by believing in your heart that he is that God raised him from the dead and and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord it's coming to this understanding that that he is who he says he is He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He did accomplish this in order to provide me forgiveness and bring me into the family of God. And so I believe that. I want to receive that. I I want to trust Him. I want to posture my life under His Lordship. I want Him to be in control. I want Him to lead me in times of refreshing. I want Him to provide for me satisfaction of life that I'm not finding anywhere else. And so if that's you in this place, as the rest of the church is getting up and partaking of communion, I want you to either come and talk with me or come and talk with Josh and say, hey, I, I want to receive that. I want to, I want to trust Jesus. We're going to pray with you. And as we pray with you, we're then going to send you to communion because now you're in the family of God. You've, you've received Christ. We want to celebrate that with you. That is, that is nothing to be shameful about. Look what happened to this lame beggar when he got up. You think he ran and hid because Jesus impacted his life? Absolutely not. He ran straight into where all the people were so that he could make it known, look what Christ has done for me. Look who Jesus is. Look how big he is. And I want him to be big, not only in my life, but I want him to be big in your life. I want Jesus to be made known. So he proclaimed it and he confessed it. And he allowed other people to enter into worship and celebration at what Christ has done. And that's exactly what we want to participate in today is is celebrating Christ through the salvation that he's provided for you. So if that's you, please come down and talk to me. Come and talk to Josh. Come and talk to someone that, that you might even know here that's invited you. Let's do that. And this time, we'll go ahead and have everybody stand up I'm going to pray, and when I finish praying, if you want to come speak with me, come speak with me. If you want to go and partake communion, partake of communion and celebrate the fact that Jesus is God, that he's king, that he's Lord, that he's amazing. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for all that you do for us. Father, we ask that you'd be glorified in this time. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? At